guys. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. So, this is a little bit of a different episode. Hi, <laughs> hi, everybody. I, uh, I've just been through something pretty crazy and amazing and good in the end where my dad needed emergency brain surgery and I went to be a support for both my dad while he was going through this and my mom while she was supporting my dad as he went through this. And I kind of wanted to tell this story because I, I, for, for several reasons, and maybe I'll get into the reasons after I tell the story. So we said goodbye to my parents back in March on a Thursday. And my parents, as you know, longtime listeners might know, live in Colorado. We go ski with them frequently. Um, well, I'm and as frequently as we can once a year, once every couple of years, something like that. And we said goodbye to them on a Thursday in late March. And on the Friday, my dad went skiing. And he was in powder, which is one of his favorite places to ski. He's, you know, skiing in powder up to his whatever knees or something. And uh, he caught an edge. He did what's called catching an edge. And basically when you catch an edge, it just throws everything off. And he ended up kind of falling with his feet in the air. His, his legs went into the air first. And then he came down backwards and landed on his head, which probably would have been okay, except because he was wearing a helmet. But like I have done this myself. So this is not, I'm not, you know, everybody mistakes happen, right? We forget things sometimes. So my dad forgot to do up his helmet. And what happened was the helmet kind of slightly came off in the fall and ended up hitting him in the back of the head, whacking his head and became really a weapon that ended up causing um, some, some major problems for my dad. He was definitely struggling, I think at first, like we heard, oh, dad's got a concussion. And um, he tried to see his doctor but his doctor wasn't available for three or four days. And that made him so angry that he basically said, screw the medical community. I'm not going to go see a doctor. They can go F off. Very, I mean, I can see my dad doing that. I can see, I can see why. And, and dad, I, if you're listening, I'm not trying to cast aspersions. I, I, I get it. Um, I might've done the same thing myself because like, here's this person who's supposed to be caring for you and they can't even see you after you've had a concussion. I mean, what are they there for? Right. So anyway, um, so that happened and, um, you know, he slept a lot, I guess at first and, um, he struggled to do his taxes, which is something that my dad really loves because <laughs> he's a numbers guy. And so basically he sort of started getting a little bit better, I guess. And, and we, in, in the meantime, I'm home and we're hearing, oh, your dad hit his head and didn't really hear that much about it. Just knew it happened. He got a concussion and, um, everything was, I think probably status quo for quite a while, for probably six weeks after it happened. And then my parents left altitude. They left 10,000 feet in altitude, which is more than two miles up in the air, very different, much less air pressure up there. So just kind of remember that as I'm telling my story. And he, he, they, came, they drove down to Toronto to stay with my brother, not stay with him, but they took an apartment in Toronto for a couple of months to be near my brother and his wife and 
my mother's got a lot of family there. So, um, you know, they were expecting really great times in Toronto. And by their second week in Toronto, it was clear that something was really wrong with my dad. He was having trouble, like walking, he was dragging his right foot, he's a righty, and he, he could hardly write with he could, you know, he was his handwriting was getting to be terrible. And um, he would reach for a glass with his right hand and either miss it entirely or knock it off the table. He in the meantime, of course, was getting incredibly upset, frightened, worried, confused. Um, and my mom reports, too, that he was kind of losing his personality a little bit. Like, uh, you know, my dad and I are very, I think all of our family is very similar in, in that we, we enjoy food, like, so much. You know, it's, a, it's maybe a small thing in terms of, like, a personality. But if you offer my dad, you know, do you, are we going to go out tonight for, you know, Alaskan crab legs or are we going to get a steak? And my dad... Is like, ooh, yum, I can't decide. They both sound so good. I mean, you know, we, we're food people, right? And my mother would say, do you want to go out for Alaskan crab legs or steak? And my dad would go, I don't know. Like, he wouldn't care. He sort of was like in this place of like, eh, like nothing really matters, whatever you want kind of a thing. And um, that was certainly frightening for both of them. And um, in the meantime, I mean, his physical symptoms are getting worse and worse, all on the right side. Very weird. And so, and this is what, the reason I'm telling this story as, as much as I am or as long as I am is because I think everything happens for a reason. I really do believe that. I'm one of those people who feels like in some weird way, we are all connected. I know it sounds so incredibly woo-woo, but I don't, that's really what I feel like. And so my parents are not in Colorado where their own uh, medical community is. And they're not even in the U.S. where they can, you know, they have access to the kind of health care that and it's not a, it's not a pro, the Canadian health care system is great. It's just that my parents were not a part of it. Right. Like they they don't. How would things get paid for if uh, like what kind of red tape are they letting themselves in for if my dad goes and has a concussion doctor look at him in Toronto? They didn't know. So they thought, OK, what's the closest American city? The closest American city is Buffalo, New York. So my dad basically picks a name off the Internet and goes and sees a concussion doctor in in Buffalo, New York. And my parents both credit this doctor with saving my dad's life because he goes through, he has a bunch of not maybe interns, maybe resident doctors who work with him because as it turns out, Buffalo, New York is a huge, they have a huge medical community. It's a really, really well-respected, like world-class hospitals. Um, and people that I spoke to before I went out to, to be with my parents were like several people were saying, you are so lucky there in Buffalo. That is the perfect place for them to be as as my dad's going going through this, right? And so my parents, anyway, make this appointment. They go down, they see the doctor. The doctor has his residents look at my dad first. The residents give the doctor kind of, when my when the doctor meets my dad, the, the doctor says, okay, you know, resident number one, give me these symptoms. And resident number two, tell me about this thing that, that you know, Mr. Locke is experiencing, whatever. And they get to the point where one of them says, oh, you know, Mr. Locke is uh, having trouble using his right side. And the doctor says, well, that's unusual. You need an MRI. And like he'd been he'd been with them for like 30 seconds. <laughs> My parents were really funny because they were both like, OK, thanks. You know, like good to meet you kind of a thing. And so he very abruptly sends them off to get an MRI. And my mother goes to, I don't know, this MRI place out in Buffalo 
my mom takes my dad there and they coincidentally happen to have an appointment that afternoon, which I don't know if, I mean, that's pretty rare that like you could just get an MRI um, if, if any of you have ever had to get one. Anyway, so my dad uh, gets an MRI and my mom is saying that she's waiting and people are kind of picking up their, they're coming in for MRIs and they're cheerfully leaving and people are coming in to pick up discs or whatever. And my mom's just like waiting and waiting. And finally, um, one of the nurses calls her back and says, listen, we need you to come with us. And my mom's like, why? No one else is going back to their, you know, loved ones still back there kind of a thing. And she says, well, you know, maybe it's because you're from out of town. Anyway, the doctor wants to see you. So my mom sits down with my dad and the doctor and the doctor says, I think this is the doctor who said this. The doctor says, well, Mr. Locke, you have an impressive amount of blood on your brain and you need to go to an emergency room right now. You need to go to this particular emergency room, the Gates Vascular Institute's emergency room. Um, I remember that name very, very well. And so my folks are like, okay. <laughs> it turned out that my dad has a thing, had a thing called a subdural hematoma, which happened when his helmet hit the back of his head. It it kind of created a bleed between the brain and the skull on the left side of my dad's head. And now after six weeks and with the increased pressure that being at sea level brings because my if you remember my folks were at 10,000 feet for like six weeks after this happened so then now they're they're down at sea level and there there's so much more pressure that my dad is really starting to see these crazy symptoms and it's on the left side of the brain it's as big as my hand we actually I saw the MRI image it's it's like a giant fog over my dad's brain so so crazy and it's pressing on his brain and the parts of his brain that it's pressing on are the parts of your brain that control things like the right side of your body's movements. And and I think more than that, because he definitely was affected with sense of humor loss, personality loss, um, I think a lot of fear and confusion, whatever. So he's got this huge blood clot in his on his brain. And um, at this point, you know, my mom calls me and my, my brothers and I I say to them, because they're only in Buffalo. They're not in Colorado. They're not a $1,000 away flight for me, as unfortunately they were for my brother, Rob. He couldn't get out here because it was just cost prohibitive. Um, but anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I was like, immediately I said, I am coming there. And my, both my parents were like, oh no, you don't have to come out. It's okay. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, There's no way that this isn't happening. And Ben, my amazing husband, 18 time winner of the husband of the year award, producer of this podcast, Ben, thank you so much for your part here. In some ways, we didn't know this, I think, at the time, but in some ways, you got the tougher part of this deal because you were at home with the boys for the like 12 days that I was in Buffalo, right? And um, and they were great and your mom could come up and all that all that is, is wonderful, wonderful. But um, just thank you so much for giving me this time with my parents. I can't tell you how much it meant to me to have that. So anyway, I uh, got on a plane that my husband found me a ticket on <laughs> and I got out to Buffalo and um, you know, my brother and his wife came down for the, for the surgery as well, came down from Toronto, my brother, Dave. And um, we, we continually spoke to Rob. One of, it was either my mom, my brother, my sister-in-law or me were, were pretty much always in touch with, and my dad actually before and after his surgery, we're really in touch with Rob because um, you know, that, 
was important for all of us that he and and Suzanne, his wife, be included in this. It was, it was a big, big deal. I mean, the doctor that he saw in the emergency room was an amazing, amazing doctor. And he said, Dr. Siddiqui, his name is, and he said, listen, you're in the right place. He said, um, we are, we are experts in your kind of surgery. It turns out that at the Gates Vascular Institute, they are pioneering the, the exact kind of surgery in the exact kind of surgery that my dad needed. Basically what they did, what they were going to do and what they did was they took a small, like a silver dollar sized uh, part of my dad's skull out and set it aside and cleaned out the, the blood that was gathering on my dad's brain and then put it back and sewed, sewed his, his uh, scalp up. And they, my, they actually filmed my dad's surgery. He's so excited to see his own surgery. <laughs> and um, and it, like doctors come from all over the world to learn from this team of doctors it, how to do the kind of exact kind of surgery that my dad needed. And I mean, let's just pause for a moment on that because just the complete randomness of coming from Colorado and staying in Toronto and needing a Buffalo hospital and picking a doctor on the internet who said, oh, this is unusual. Go to the emergency room or go to get an MRI. And I mean, the set of circumstances seems so incredibly random that to me, I mean, it doesn't seem random at all. <laughs> I guess everything, everything happens for a reason, you know? So, so while we were there, my dad had the surgery. And the other thing that the doctor said was that this was urgent, but not necessarily an emergency. He didn't feel that he needed to get in there like yesterday. I mean, he would have been nice, right? But um, if we had left it, if they had left it for much longer, you know, it could have been very bad. It could have gone a different way. But because they, you know, Dr. Siddiqui was like, I'm not treating this as an emergency where we need to get you in there stat and remove this. He said, I, we want to, we need to check out some things about the brain and the blood consistency. I guess they wanted him on blood thinners for a couple of days to kind of make the blood that was gathered on his brain a little bit uh, thinner because it's easier to, to clean out basically. And, and then they did the surgery on Saturday and they, I mean, within, we could see him, we saw him about a half hour after the surgery. And this is what I think is so cool about this too. It was completely mechanical. There was no damage to the brain. It was that there was something pressing on the brain. So you remove the thing that's pressing and it's like this instantaneous, everything's fine again. So we went from kind of my dad was really freaked out and upset and frightened. I mean, as as anyone would be to like after the surgery and he's still groggy from from anesthesia. And he says to me, he's like, look at this, Karen. And he he lifted his right leg off the bed, like, I don't know, a foot into the air. He says, I couldn't do this this morning. I mean, immediately he started feeling differences, positive, positive differences. And, um, and it kind of kept on going like that, you know? So I was out there with them for a little more than a week after the surgery. My dad, um, he, he, progressed extremely well. Um, he also, I love this part of the story too. When they first arrived in the ER or, it, you know, when he was first admitted to the neuro, uh, the, the neurology unit, he kept setting off alarms when he was resting, be, when he was asleep because his heart rate would go so low. He's got the heart rate of an athlete. The man is like 74 years old and 
he's he's uh he always embarrassed the hell out of us when we were kids because he would just engage in public stretching everywhere he'd stretch his calves or whatever and we'd be like come on dad but those are the kind of behaviors that have kept him in such incredibly good shape he's really flexible he's he's really muscular he he keeps in shape um he's a diabetic who's never needed insulin i mean uh he's he's just he's just in an extremely extremely good shape and so i love that that he's he's setting off alarms for having an an athlete's heart rate (laughs) in the hospital and all those things really worked well so I, i guess it makes me think about like the kind of choices that that i i mean really this is my parents right um have made have led them to the place where they're in their 70s now and they're really really healthy you know um so when something like this happens they 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 handle it extremely well so uh, you know and then in the week after the surgery we he was released from the hospital we went up to toronto um so we could stay in their apartment that they had taken it was awesome. Um, I think I, I can't decide what picture, what image I'd like to include in this post, but it might end up one of the pictures anyway, might end up being the view from my room, my little, it was like this, it was awesome. It was like this, this tiny corner apartment on the 22nd floor of a building that overlooked the CN tower, the lake, you know, Toronto's on, on a beautiful, big, huge lake. And um, there was a soccer stadium where we could like watch the soccer, like the Toronto what were they called? The Toronto Football Club. We could watch them play and it was just wicked cool. Um, And we got to see, we got to see a lot of my relatives. We spent a lot of time with my brother and his wife who, um, you know, we, we don't see them generally, but once a year. And it was so great to, to kind of have that time. And it, it ended up being, it was definitely worrisome. I mean, there were definitely some things to kind of think about, but it was like at the same time as, as it was stressful and tough, it was also some real quality time with my folks. Um, and then it was funny too, cause I, I'm saying that like some of the, some of the tough things for me were like being the strong one for 12 days was, was something else. I had, I had basically my brother, Dave and I have talked about this. I had a half hour where my brother and my sister-in-law and I walked from my brother's home for, from Dave and Lena's home down to my parents' apartment. It took about a half hour. And that half hour was the one half hour that I had where I really could just be worried, you know, decompress a little bit, um, gripe <laughs> for lack of a better word. And then, and then I went back to being the strong one. That was fine. I can remember, um, my friend Didi, who you met in episode zero, she's one of my four best friends, and uh, we had this wonderful conversation about the episode zeros are usually like the story of the podcaster, kind of the podcaster's story. And for mine, I invited my four best buddies to come on the show and we drank a lot of wine and, and we talked about our lives. Basically, it was a really great show. Anyway, Dee texts me on like my second to last day, day, day there. And she's like, she's like, how are things going? And I was like, great. My dad's doing so incredibly well. And it's all so good. And then the next day I get on the plane and I was like, oh my God, like my dad just had brain surgery. Like, oh, he could have died. And like, I felt sort of like I was, I don't know, almost falling down like some giant hole like I was like oh my god like this really happened <gasps> um 
And I didn't even, I didn't understand this reaction. Like I'm, you know, I'm close to tears on the plane and, and I, and I just kept kind of being that way. And, uh, uh, you know, 12 hours later, sort of, I get home and I see my family and I like, couldn't even, I almost couldn't smile. I was so happy to be with them. You know, it just felt like such a relief to kind of have things be, to be at home again or whatever. And at the same time, like, I was just like, oh my God, like this has just happened. Holy mackerel. And it wasn't until probably late that night, it was eight or nine that night before I got a chance to talk to Ben about it. And he was like, well, of course you're feeling this way. You've been the strong one for two weeks. And I was like, wow, I guess that really, that really does. I, I don't know. That was, that was the thing anyway. So, and my dad continues to progress really well. Um, we have been texting an awful lot. And uh, I love this too. The day after his surgery, so like 24 hours later, he's sitting up in, in his hospital bed on his phone, checking their credit card statement because my dad is such a numbers guy. And for the first time in like eight weeks, he was like, hmm, what's going on with my credit card? Let's let's check this out. Like <laughs> kind of returning to caring about the things that he used to care about. And, um, you know, I, I guess so the things that I learned, I, I really I wanted to start this episode by saying I, I called it what I learned in helping my parents. And I learned several things. One of them is that everything happens for a reason. You know, it's, um, I think things are interconnected. If we can approach the world in such a way as we see the positives and we can see how, how things relate in a really positive way, I think that it just opens us up to so much positivity. I mean, I know woo woo again, right? But the thing is, it's so true. It's been really true for me. And I hope it's true for you. Um, And the other thing I learned was that I have some pretty amazing parents and siblings and sisters-in-law. And I think I'm going to tell this story. I sometimes supporting loved ones, this is something else that I learned. Supporting our loved ones can, can mean speaking about really profound, deep, you know, ugly sometimes, but medical maybe things. But it can also mean like things that are silly and frivolous um, can also kind of help get us through that. So so years ago, uh, when my parents first moved to Colorado, one of my brothers, we're in a restaurant at breakfast. (laughs) Everybody in my family is like, oh my God, she's going to tell that story. Well, yes, I am. Because I'm the podcaster and I can do that. So we're sitting at breakfast. My my youngest brother gets up and he says, hey, guys, I'll be right back. I got to go drop a couple kids off at the pool. And if you, I mean, I'm he probably didn't even whatever, but he was going to the bathroom and he was going to go in, in preschool parlance number two. And we hadn't ordered yet. And so <laughs> the waitress came over and my dad, I don't think he really was clear on what dropping a couple kids off at the pool meant. So anyway, he... um he, the waitress comes along and and she says, are you guys ready to order? And my dad says, well, not quite yet because, because my son had to go drop a couple kids off at the pool. (laughs) God, it was so incredibly funny. (laughs) And just like a classic, I don't know, classic, my dad, classic, my family kind of thing. And it was, it was great. It was like this hilarious memory. And the reason I'm telling it is because there was a moment sometime while, we were in Buffalo while my dad was in the hospital where we were texting with him. And 
And um, my mom went to the hospital first. And so I jokingly got like I was trying I was going to text my dad mom is on her way over I'll be over in a few minutes I'm you know finishing up here and what I texted was that mom is on her way over and I'm I'm just going to drop a couple kids off at the pool and then head over myself and like my dad got such a kick out of that and in a in a place and time where he wasn't getting much of a kick out of anything um you know he he still had some sense of humor I think cuz this was before the surgery and um, you know, th- those like silly scatological things, they might seem frivolous, but sometimes they can be, you know, meaningful. Like it's just the importance of having these people where you have this language that maybe other people don't necessarily understand. That's, that's an important thing. And it can really come through in a situation like this. So, and it just felt so good to, to be there with them, to be in touch with Rob and Sue out in Colorado and just to be there was this real feeling of togetherness. We would have watched the hockey game because the playoffs were going on. And uh, I don't have cable. So to be able to watch hockey with my dad was like, and my and the rest of my family too, you know, but I think um, it just felt so incredibly special um, walking with him. Like we got to take some walks after the surgery um, to get out of the hospital. Basically he, he was, he said to them, okay, what do I have to do to get out of here? And they were like, you have to drink a lot of water and you have to take lots of walks. And my dad was like, all right, give me up. <laughs> I'm doing it. And it was so much fun to see him so motivated and, and excited. So walking, taking walks with him, taking walks with my mom was really special. And um, we listened to this while we were in Toronto. Um, we listened to a, a YouTube, like it's a comedy bit that you can hear, but I don't, there wasn't anything to see, but it was on YouTube anyway. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's Patton Oswalt's Christmas Shoes comedy bit. If you have not heard it, or if you have heard it, go listen to it again. It's just, I mean, it's incredibly, I think people call this blue now. Like it's so not appropriate for kids. Um, It is, please don't listen to it anywhere near your kids. <laughs> but it's, it's just one of those things that's so silly and frivolous and hilarious. Like my brother was saying, oh my gosh, we listen to this every year as we're putting lights on the Christmas tree. We listen to Pat Oswalt's Christmas shoes comedy bit. And um, one of those things that like might totally offend someone. And if it does offend you, I, I really apologize. I hope that um, I hope that it doesn't. I mean, it's just freaking funny. So, so, you know, in some of those moments, really deep things would happen. There's a connection underneath all the, frivolity um that even if you do not like Patton Oswalt's Christmas shoes comedy bit there's something in your you know I hope anyway that there's something in your family or in your life that affects you like that where you can just sit with these people and you can say one phrase and they're all laughing you know what I mean oh gotta drop a couple of kids off at the pool like and everybody is on the floor laughing because because that I mean that's that's deep that's not scratching the surface that's deep 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 and um it just felt so good to be there so I'm really really glad I got to do that again Ben thank you so much for letting me be out there and finding a way for me to get out there and supporting me while I was and holding the fort here it was super special to be able to do that mom and dad um I'm so glad I got to be there for you guys and um and I love you I love you so much And so today, everybody, I'm bringing you the conversations that I released as bonus episodes for Mother's Day and Father's Day in 2015. The first one is going to be my dad. And um, again, this was recorded a year ago, but um, 
I felt like having told this story about my parents, especially about my parents, that I thought you might enjoy listening to them. So it's going to be a little bit longer than usual because um, each of these bonus episodes is about a half hour. So um, so I think it's probably going to be like an hour and a half version of the show. But hopefully, you know, you can listen to it in three segments. You can find some, some time and um, that way you can kind of, you know, get a sense of, of my folks. And um, I hope that that works for you, that that's good for you. Um, and so I guess I will leave it this way. I'm leaving you with, I think, a wish, maybe a hope. And the hope is that you could have the kind of relationship with your parents that I've been lucky enough to have with mine. And that you could have the kind of relationship with your kids that you really want. Because in the end, that's what life is all about. It can seem like it's about little everyday crap that everybody deals with, but it's not. It's it's not. It's about relationships. I don't think I would have defined it this way, but I think the meta level of We Turned Out Okay is turning out to be about relationships. And that's, I mean, that's really, that's what we've got. That's what our time on this spinning rock gives us. It gives us relationships and, and it's up to us to make the most of them. And, and that's, that, I hope you're getting some of that, some ways to do that out of this show, because that's, that's what I'm doing it for. So if it's helping you or if I can bring someone on the show or cover a topic that will help you have a better relationship with your kids, I really hope you'll let me know. Go to weturnedoutokay.com slash contact. And again, thanks for listening. Uh, here are my folks. I really hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest is truly special. Starting from a working-class neighborhood in Montreal, Canada, my guest worked his way up from the position of Rolodex clerk, the lowest level of clerical staff at a large insurance company called Sun Life of Canada. He started there at age 16 and retired 39 years later as the vice president of customer service. Meanwhile, he took night classes, worked his way through college, eventually became the Canadian equivalent of a CPA known as a general public accountant. And while he was doing all of this, he fell in love, got married, started a family, moved to the United States. But I know him best for all of the things in his life outside his work. Musician, tennis player, jogger, hockey coach, DIY carpenter, do-it-yourself carpenter, life coach, amazing skier and ski instructor. And you'll know him as the man I threw under the bus in episode two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my dad, Arthur Locke. Welcome, dad. Wow. Hi, Karen. How are you this morning? Hi, I'm I'm good. I'm really good. I'm so glad to be talking to you. How you did I do? Left out one important detail there about my uh, about my life, and that's my golf career. Oh, I forgot about golf. <laughs> yeah, so golf totally meant nothing to me except that you like to do it with with uh, you know your boys. <laughs> so, so yeah. So and and avid golfer. Um, I actually wanted to talk a little bit to you about you as a life coach, because you certainly were that for me. So like a life coach, are you familiar with this concept? Someone who, who helps you live a better life, basically? You know, I, I think so. Certainly yeah. in general, I probably am. Yeah. You I want to be giving a lecture on it. But. No, no, no. But you were totally that for me, partly because you're a great example of how to go for your dreams, not only by your example, and not only by the things that you say, but by what you do. So you and mom retiring, um, and in you know, and you were in your fifties when you retired, right? I was, I like. yes, I was. I yeah. was. Uh, let's see, I was fifty-six. 
Yeah, yeah. And and selling our our house and moving to Colorado, our house in Massachusetts and moving to Colorado and just I feel like you you and mom really have set a fabulous example of how to do what you want to do. You know, you set a goal for yourselves and you and you go and do it. And uh, I think that's really neat. And another way that you've helped me kind of as a life coach is, and my brothers and I have talked about this too, you have these, you have a way of reducing things to their, like their most logical kind of uh, essence. And um, I wanted to just share a story that I bet you'll remember about when I was, um, so I had, I'd been through physical therapy for my leg. I had had, you know, I'd, I'd spent this winter in a wheelchair. This was 2011, 2012. And you and mom came to visit and between you, mom and Ben basically said, you must go and get this sorted out. And then once I did get it sorted out, I was, you know, I was kind of relearning how to walk. And I was, I was trying to figure out where do I go from here? Like I'm, I've been sitting you know, sitting down on my butt and and really unable to kind of get past pain for nine or 10 months or something like that. And, and I would, I would, I remember I would call you and I'd be like, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go back to school for engineering, or I'm going to go back to school for marriage and family therapy and get my degree in that. And I can remember you after three or four of these like completely expensive and kind of crazy ideas, you just one day said, why don't you figure out something you can do with the degree you already have? (laughs) Do you remember that? Which you actually excelled in at the time when you were taking it. I mean, I think you led, if you weren't the number one student in your master's program, you were very, very close to it. Yes, I remember that very, yeah. very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I loved it. I mean, I guess that that statement really kind of made me kind of step back and go, wow, you know what? I, I do have a lot of qualifications in this area. And actually, this podcast is really kind of an extension of that. I mean, I'm using the skills that I was taught during my master's program, because I'm talking to people about their young children and and how to worry less. I'm also I mean, it's a life thing, too, because I'm also trying to help people like outside of having a master's degree as a mom, I was a real worry wart when the kids were small and um, to help people not not do that. It's it's also an example to me of how you how you're keeping how you continue to grow. Yeah. Because while you're using your past education, you're also learning a lot about a whole bunch of new stuff, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's a lot a lot of life is just to try to continue learning, you know, continue yeah. doing new things, which is what you're doing. Yeah. Really exactly. proud of you, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's great. That's great to hear. And so you you have this ability to get to the heart of a situation. And I'm wondering, how did you learn that knack? Was that something you learned or is that something that you've always been able to do to really just go, this is what we need to focus on? <laughs> Gee, I don't, I don't know. I, I certainly don't. You know, there's no courses given on it. I don't think I never I've never really thought of myself as being especially good at that, although. Uh, you know, whenever I think about a problem, I try to think about what the central problem is, but I have no idea how. I mean, I think it's probably acquired, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I had exposure to, um, there was a gentleman that I work with, one of my bosses in the Sun Life, that he was just a master at that. He could sort out, you know, in a complicated, in a complicated problem, he mm-hmm. could sort out what was important and what wasn't important so quickly. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, uh, several years exposure to him working directly with him, maybe help with that. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's that's just, cool. It's just what I do, what I try to do. I mean, I deliberately try to do that. I yeah, mean, yeah. Whenever I'm thinking about a problem, any kind of problem, I, I say, okay, what's important here and what's not important? Yeah. So. And it worked when I was a teenager too. You know, when, when I was, uh, uh, you know, 
struggling with like boyfriends or something like that. And right, I remember there was right. this one time, Maybe, I don't, I don't remember the exact situation. It's probably, it's partly instinct. Instinct. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good instincts. I'd like to think I have decent instincts. I can remember you sitting down on my bed and I was in tears about some boy and, and you were, you were saying to me, like, I don't really care about the, the boy. Like you're, you are crying on your bed. That's what I care about. <laughs> How can right, I help you right. with that? And I just, yeah. I, I feel like that's a really good example to follow again, because it's, it's, right. it takes all the drama out of a situation to really stop and figure out what, what is it that. Yeah you know, that right. we need to do. That's another thing is, you know, sort of in any kind of relationship problem. I mean, to try to ask yourself, well, in this relationship problem, what are the really important things and what are the non-important things? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because sometimes the non-important things can become really, really big. Yeah. And they're, and they're the you things should, that if you're focusing on those. Back and think about it, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, shifting subjects a little bit. I used to love going to your office. It was, it, I remember it as this big office with like your plaques on the wall and there was a desk and a conference table. And then on the, on one of the shelves prominently displayed, I don't know if you remember this, there were these two little clay scenes of spring. And there, I remember there was like a duck and a little, I don't, you know, some, little animals in a little pond and stuff like that. And they were lovingly made by my brother and me, but they were, they were not beautiful. <laughs> they were not particularly <laughs> lovely. And I, I just want to say, I think it takes a special kind of man, especially a, a, a guy to display those, those things in a high power, like testosterone office setting. And I just wonder, did you like, how did they come to be there? And did you ever have any thoughts of kind of taking them down or did anybody ever comment on them and say like what the crud is that or something i don't know did you ever what did you think about those <laughs> i don't know i'm i am having a memory fill are you blanking i i gotta be honest with you i, I don't remember that at all <laughs> oh wow yeah no so we probably made them when i, I was like simple things around i mean even in, even here in our trailer we have a number of things that are you know, they're just uh, simple pictures and simple reminders of things we like to be reminded of. Yeah, yeah. So it must have been something like that. But I honestly do not remember those uh, plays. Yeah, they were. Um, well, and they were there till you moved out. I can remember like. Maybe mom, mom probably put them there. Uh, yeah, possibly, possibly. And oh, well, I mean, in a way, I think that's kind of good because they I mean, it's not it's obviously not good that you maybe don't remember them or whatever. That's not what I'm saying, but that they didn't. Like nobody walked into your office and said, you know, Art, this is ridiculous. Like this is a, you know, this is a business here. You can't have these stupid little figures. <laughs> Not that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Um, and I guess I think that brings me to a, a going off the point a little bit. But I feel like you were you were a, a different kind of corporate guy. Like you a lot. I feel like a lot of corporate people, a lot of corporate types maybe are much more interested kind of in themselves and in like their own whatever their own office politics and that kind of thing and you were never like that were you well you know you there's no way in big corporate america that you're going to rise to any kind of uh senior level and when i left the sun life i was a pretty senior person mm -hmm. and without being at least tuned into the political climate and the political environment and the political surroundings we just can't get there and be totally ignorant of politics mm -hmm. but i did try to I did try to, uh, you know, play within rules that I had set for myself, ethical rules. Um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's about, you know, that's, that's, that's what you have to say about that. that subject would be, you, you, you can't be 
a non-politician and rise to a senior level in a big corporate. Yeah, corporate but you business. can, but you can do it ethically. You can do it with heart instead of right. You know, and you can do it with caring. Yeah. The, in the yeah. Sun Life culture was, uh, you know, when I worked there, it's changed now because it's um, gone quarter of the wall, sort of the Wall Street way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a bit of a family culture. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was easier in a company like the Sun Life than other companies. But nevertheless, you still had to be, uh, you, you know, I, I had two of my really, really good friends in the Sun Life tell me that I was a survivor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, what does that mean? It means that, you know, you can't become friends with everybody and, um, and you have to have your wits about you when you're, when you're when you're working your way through big corporate America. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever feel the pressures of being the breadwinner? Just be, it was all on your shoulders kind of to, to get, you know, get us clothed and with a roof over our heads and that oh, kind absolutely. Of thing. Yeah. No. And, and I, you know, I, I never, I never thought of myself as being very, very good under great amount of pressure anyway. Mm-hmm. But I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressures there. I think, uh, what helped me deal with it was was uh, my family, you mm-hmm. know, mom and you three guys were all, my always my backstop. I mean, I always whatever things got, you know, whenever I felt like, wow, boy, this is I'm under a lot of pressure here, or or feeling stress, I always could get my mind to cast my mind back on you know why I'm doing this mm-hmm. and and the joy that I get out of the family part of my life basically. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very important to me and helped me, helped me get through, uh, you know, more than one kind of awkward or st- yeah, stressful, stressful time in my, my career with the Sun Life. I mean, I had said my career in Sun Life spanned 40 years. Yeah. So yeah. That's a, a big time. deal. Yeah. And some of the situations that developed there that I was involved in were, pretty damn stressful (laughs) yeah yeah i remember i you know without naming names i do remember when i was i think i was in college when you were basically called in to clean up a huge mess that the vice president of customer service before you had created right right yeah yeah it was watching it get created that was a really stressful (laughs) i bet (laughs) were you were you in another department at the time or were you in customer service and so you're watching like your boss take down this unit, take down this department. I was, I was sort of in another department. I was working beside what was going on there. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Um, but I, I, but I wasn't directly involved in it. I was actually at the time leading a big, uh, uh computer, pro- computer project. Uh, yeah, so. that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. You, you implemented one of the first big computer projects, right? In, in sunlight. Well, I don't know if it was, was the first one, but it was, it was, uh, uh, it, it was big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. It was very satisfying and a lot of fun. Probably one of the least stressful parts of my career, actually. I mean, yeah. it's just something I felt, uh, uh, you know, really, really strongly about that needed to get done. And and uh, the company was spending a lot of money. You know, anytime I used to say this a lot. Anytime anybody's spending a lot of money, and you're spending it, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. That's cool. We have a friend who's doing that right now uh, within EMC. He's he's sort of a head, the head of a little company within EMC that works with like their high end uh, customers, which is really neat. It's been really fun to kind of watch him do that. It's neat. Um, right, right. And building things, you know, that was another one of my thoughts on my career is building things was uh, always a lot more fun than cleaning up messes. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you broke a few things down, but not many. Yeah. Breaking them down means, you know, winding up a branch of business, laying people off, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a lot more fun building things and doing things like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can remember. So there was a there were a couple of summers where I worked at the Sun Life. And the first one, I remember I had just gotten home from Europe. So I was probably 21. And I worked in the kitchen, God, which was just the most awful <laughs> yes, job in the world. That. I remember oh, that really, really well. <laughs> I hated that job. You every were day. really happy there. I was. Yeah, it was awesome. The, my my happiest moments were actually when people that I would know would come through the lunch line. And so you every once in a while you'd come through because you ate in a different dining. The officers had a different dining room. But every once in a while you'd come through and I'd be like, hey, you know, there's my dad. And then, but the second year, the second summer that I worked there, I worked in, um, I'm trying to remember what the, it was a group department. I feel like it was group group small, it was like small group insurance was what it was. So we got a lot of like short-term disability, uh, people going out on maternity leave or whatever. And I was like a total, I was a file clerk, but I remember that I was put into an office and I won't mention her name, but I was put into the, like, they didn't have anywhere to put me. So I was given an office and it was the office of a woman who had left in a huge scandal because she'd been like sleeping with her boss. And it was crazy. Do you remember that? Without I naming names? Very well. Yeah, I Those bet you do. kinds of things I don't forget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe exactly. pictures on a mantle I might forget, but yeah. things like that you don't forget. Well, I mean, you. so actually to get back to those little clay figures, I mean, we probably made them when we were like seven and five. So they may not have actually survived the move. When you went, you moved from one office to like a, a bigger office and they may not have survived that move, come to think of it. But anyway, yeah, that, that, uh, wow. having that, um, having that office was so, I used to just sit there and be like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. There was something really funny about it. And I'm in there doing my little filing and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't, I, I feel like I kind of want to move away from work a little bit. Um, and I, which is, this has been a well, great, sun life, you know, the sun life for, for me was, uh, you know, a very, very important part of my, my, my life actually. I mean, and, and it, it paid the bills. It uh, offered a really, really good, satisfying career to me generally. And mm-hmm. every one of you guys worked for the Sun Life for some part of your. That's right. You know, when you were going to college. Yep, so, yep, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And sure. I, I liked it because it taught me. Life. Yeah, it goes. Shout out to the Sun Life. It taught me just about what it's like to work in an office environment. I'd never done that before, and that was really right. fun. And I remember I used to be able to take walks with you because there, there, Sun Life has this like a yeah. lot of these big kind of campuses do. They had like a walking path, and that was right. really right. cool. And I was actually responsible for that walking path, by the way. Oh, awesome! That's really cool. Yeah, because we moved down here. When I was three, we moved down to the States. We moved down from Montreal specifically so that you could, like, be one of the people who built this. Right, uh, right. I was the, yep, yep. I was in charge of all that. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things we did was we built that big, nice walking path around our our property area so that That employees could uh, go for a walk at lunchtime or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. That was great. And now, Another example of how fun it is to build things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that whole project fun. was worth thirty-five million dollars. So somebody gave us thirty-five million dollars to spend, and we had a lot of fun. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows. It, it shows. It's still there. I love driving by it. I'm always like, oh, there it is. There, yeah. yeah. And so now I, I kind of want to talk about when uh, episode two, when I when I threw you under the bus. Except that this time I don't want to. I don't really want to get into so much like. That I did that, you know, that I sort of said, like, you you know, your my experience growing up with you, I guess what I really want to talk about is that my experience growing up with you um, was great. And but it was definitely like a parent child relationship. But your my experience with you and my boys has been very different, like watching you be a grandfather that I, you know, I kind of love for you to describe the difference between being a parent and being a grandparent. If you could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
that's uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just totally different. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, Grant. I get. I think being a, a grandparent is like I've said this before and thought this before. It's all the fun of parenting, but none of the non-fun parts of parenting because there's there's a fair amount of that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if you have, you can have fun with your grandkids, it's, it seems like it's almost nothing but fun mm-hmm. with the grandkids. You, you do, you go see your grandkids do things. You, you do things with them, at least, at least that's what we try to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be any downside of, <laughs> of grandparenting. grandparenting, as far as I can see anyway. You know? are, are the expectations different? Like, do you have different expectations for your grandchildren than you did for your own children? Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have any expectations for my grandchildren, and I had, I had, I certainly had expectations and have expectations, continue to have them for my own children. So uh. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe that's one of the things that's that's actually quite different, and and makes it maybe a little more fun. Is you know, you know, there's. I mean, so far with grandchildren, there are no disappointments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that there were a lot of there's not that there were a lot of disappointments with my children, but they're. You know, there are always some <clears throat> when you're when you're there seven twenty four for twenty one years with, which is the way you are with your children. Yeah, parents are with your children most anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, it's, there's going to be the inevitable disappointment. Yeah, a lot of joy though too. So yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you have got a kind of a better idea of how the story ends with the grandchildren because you've kind of seen you've been through it once before? Is there anything like that? Maybe. Uh, I you know I've never really thought about how the story with my grandchildren might end um like what i mean is you've you've seen three of us grow up you know make mistakes fall right. down still growing actually figure it yeah exactly yeah yeah hopefully <laughs> not in size anymore <laughs> you know but <laughs> well no we're not talking about size <laughs> but still growing definitely and I, yeah yeah i think that's one of the kind of the funnest things like i know from watching dave our youngest brother uh he's seven years younger than me and I think he, of all three of us, he sort of had the least idea about what he really wanted to do, which direction he wanted to go in as an adult. And to watch him figure that out, I bet as a parent, it was hell. <laughs> like all through his 20s when you're like, you've got yeah. such a brain yeah. on your shoulders. Why uh-huh. don't you do something with it? You know, and right. but but right. That, I guess that's, that's... Dave would uh, would admit to, uh, you know, uh, conversations that him and I have had about, you know, you know what he's doing and it's just it's just great now to see him really emerge in something that he likes doing and uh and i think that's true with you and and uh, and your other brother rob yeah yeah i think it's, so too it's just a joy for me to watch you try to develop this business that you're trying to get going here yeah it's such a value added thing it seems to me you know yeah so. what do you i guess value added do you mean like I'm because I'm I'm just tuning back into the stuff that I really love and I'm going to be able to help people with it. Is that what you mean by value added? Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's right. it's been fun, fun to do, especially I, w- I would guess. I mean, I think you know, selling, I, selling ketchup doesn't really help people very much. Maybe yeah. It helps them enjoy their French fry. But yeah, but, but selling and marketing uh, what you're doing has just an enormous potential to, to help people. Yeah. Teams. Yeah, and in small ways, I think, but that add up, you know, like if you think about all the kind of stresses that come with raising children, which is really what we're talking about, uh, 
if you can if you can relax if you can think more like a grandparent maybe and less like a parent then maybe that will be better you know yeah yeah just yeah. just that so there's there's today's piece of advice everybody <laughs> be be the grandparent not the parent and think, think more like a grandparent think yeah. more like a grandparent yeah i can remember when the kids were just born especially i noticed with, with with max and you guys were just so serene god and then i remember there was this i have this great story to share about when you and i we we were visiting colorado and i feel like max was probably seven jay was probably three six seven two three something like that and we we went to the Breckenridge Rec Center where they have this huge indoor pool with a big, huge water slide. I mean, like a, one of those water slides you usually see outdoors. And and this is such a classic story for a grandparent parent. Like you can you can see the differences. So Max was standing at the top of the water slide and he was just not going down. He wanted to go down. And he could not go down. And I was sort of I was really worried about that. And I was like. I think I was a little bit more worried about like, you know, what if he couldn't make it down? Like, what if he just gave up? Like, what would that mean for for him or whatever? Very parental expectations. Like, what's it going to mean for his future if he can't get down the water slide right now? So I we switched. I went to the bottom and you went to the top. And you were the one who got him to go down the water slide. Do you remember that? That must have been such a great oh, feeling. I remember that. I mean, I can see this like right in front of me right now. So yeah. Yeah, I remember this very well. Yeah. And then he gets to the bottom and you get to the bottom because you slid down after him. And we're getting out of the pool and he's got this huge smile on his face. And I say to him, you know, you can only do that a couple more times and then we're going to have to leave the rec center. <laughs> so parental, right? And he starts crying and you give him a big hug and you say, Max, you can go down that water slide as many times as you want. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was just, you, you really showed me like what's important there. What is the, what is the right. important Well, to me, there was, you know, there's a big life's lesson there and a big, the big life's lesson is, you know, a lot of life is overcoming your own fears and your and that's what Max did that day. Yeah. He had a huge fear of coming down that water slide. And maybe I was able, better able to see that as a grandparent than as a parent. I don't know, but it was just so clear to me that that if he can overcome this, this is a big step forward mm-hmm. for him. And yeah. Yep. And then you don't reinforce that by saying, OK, two more times. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You don't say, OK, two more times. You want to reinforce it by letting him do it again and again and getting that awesome, fun, fun feeling. You know, more of life needs to be that. That's that's how you think like a grandparent. <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. I really want to thank you, my dad, my wonderful dad, for being on the show and for being my dad. I love you so much. And happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you, Karen. I, I love you too, of course. And I, I'm just, mom and I are now just so proud of you to watch you uh, take this thing that you're working with. <laughs> After yeah. all you've gone through for the last couple of years, man, God bless you. You're, you're oh, thank you. I can, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Dad, so much. <laughs> it's nice to make your daddy proud, you know. And to all you fathers out there, I hope you have a great Father's Day, too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this special edition, special guest edition of We Turned Out Okay, airing May the 9th, Mother's Day. And uh, with me today, I have a very special guest. She is a beloved romance author, a caterer, and a friggin' outstanding cook to boot. She's a former child care center owner. She 
is, and most importantly to me, anyway, she is my mother. Everybody, please welcome Diane Locke. Oh, welcome, thank my you. mother. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Diane E. Locke, if you're looking for the book on Amazon. Yes. That's right. So I have some very, like, silly, I guess not silly questions, but just questions that have occurred to me over the last couple of days since I decided I really was hoping to interview you for Mother's Day. And one of them is, could you describe the stuffed zucchini phenomenon? <laughs> it's when your, um, your children are past uh, the infancy stage. Uh, and they are running around the house, um, taking up a lot of space, making a whole lot of noise. And you have, are now background. Your children are either reading, watching TV, playing a game. Uh, and you realize that this is your whole day until your husband gets home or until you have to start making dinner uh, because you have... A very little social life when your children are one, two, three years old. Uh, you're uh, in our house anyway. Um, the breadwinner was out winning bread, mm -hmm. and I was baking it. And um, you you start feeling like you're out of touch, out of sync, uh, and all of your friends generally are in the same sort of boat. So what you're it's you what you're your discussions are all revolve around your children and what they're doing and whether or not they're toilet trained. And you feel like you've never had an intelligent thought in your life. Um, and for me, that lasted several years. And and so that your head would be filled with stuffed zucchini. <laughs> your head well, was feeling like, like a that stuffed zucchini. That was what zucchini. I always called it. I feel like yeah. a stuffed zucchini. Like I, I have no brain. I have no, um, no thought process going on. I'm like an automaton from the you know, you pick the baby up and you, you feed it and you, you'd go do laundry and you do some vacuuming and you feed the baby again and you haven't got a whole lot of time on of your own. Uh, we actually in our neighborhood started a babysitting, a mother's babysitting service uh, to give each other a break. Mm -hmm. um, there were five of us, five moms, say, all in the same boat, same street as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. In, um, in Milford. Good old and, Harvard Drive. I remember oh, it well. Harvard Drive. And uh, you would put in for time. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to go out for two hours on Wednesday. Who is free to babysit? Mm -hmm. And either they would come to your house if your kids were sleeping, if they were that young, or the kids would all have kind of a play date. I guess we invented the play date. Mm -hmm. Just didn't call uh, it that. And that way you could get out even just to go grocery shopping and look at labels and compare nutrition values. It was <laughs> like exciting. You know, what's so funny is I love grocery shopping without. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but it was a oh. way to get, uh, you know, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't need to be alone. I didn't want to be alone. I just didn't want, I wanted to feel like a thinking human being, which I used to be, you know, mm -hmm. five, six years previously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when that, you when you were that, when you were kind of required for your brain as well as what your like limbs and Yeah, exactly. Know, so dad would do. come home and he's tired from a long day and we got screaming kids who want to be fed and and you don't have a lot of you're not using your mind. I joined um the uh uh what was it called? The book club. Um Was it the Ridgewood Women's Club? No, well, yeah, I joined the Ridgewood Women's Club. Actually, I was forced into the Ridgewood Women's Club. I was, it was announced that I was now the secretary of the Ridgewood Women's Club, uh, <laughs> without me knowing it. But that that was fine. It gave me a night out. Um, 
and I got busy with that, plus got to know a lot of other uh, mothers, uh, other women mainly. It was a, a women's group, uh, you know, some of whom had, had older children or no children at all. So you could start talking about books and uh, current events mm-hmm. and, uh, f- you know, forget about uh, what baby food you were feeding the latest kid, you know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I remember when I joined a book club. And I would wait uh, for um, the book to come. And I can remember sitting there with hardcover books, of course, with my big hardcover book. And you were sitting at the table having your lunch. And I was feeding Rob in the high chair. And I'm shoving the spoon in his mouth and reading the book at the same time. (laughs) It's like... All right. (laughs) Do you know one step? That brings me to back to something that I remember, which was um, the Milford Library. Used mm-hmm. to you, you. We would go to the Milford Library, and you would get like these stacks of like ten huge hardcover books, and I'd be yeah. like, "How is she ever going to read all of those?" And you know yeah. what's so funny is now I do that you too. Do the same thing. I do the same. In fact, the kids and I will will have stacks of books together, um, because we have an awesome library that like has a lot of kids and teen kind of stuff as well. Yeah. But um. But I just, I remember the, you know, sort of going to the library and leaving with these stacks of books yep. and feeling just like you. <laughs> it was so cool. When, when um, we lived, at, when we moved to Ashland, Mrs. White's was running a children's reading program downstairs. And so I would make sure that I would get there at the right time of day. And you guys would go and listen to her read a story. And I would wander around the library upstairs for an hour. Yeah. And that was nice, too. Just, yeah. it's funny. It's just, um, it's not that you don't want to be a mom. It's that they're should be something else going on. I can understand working mothers mm-hmm. um, after not being a working mother because your days are filled with things that are not laundry and children. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can use your mind. You're using what's above your ears, right. <laughs> what's above yeah. your neck. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, gosh, that's a great answer for that oh, question. Well, Just it's very long and extended, but um, that's, uh, that's the size of it. Okay, so the next one, I have actually have two more questions. And the next one is, I would love it if you could, so when I was a teen, actually, I was probably more in college, but I can remember that you were writing a book. And yeah. I'm, I would love it if you would describe your book writing process, because as I recall, there was still my, our youngest, your youngest, my brother Dave was still home, right? Yes. So what what did, what was your book writing process like? Um, well, I uh, was dropped on my head. <laughs> That's a great way to start writing a book. That's right. You got hit by a car. I got hit by a car and landed basically on my shoulder and the side of my head. And fortunately, nothing was broken. I had some tremendous bruising, but uh, nothing broken. And basically, I got... I went from that to wanting to write a story. And I had been told by friends that when they got a letter from me, they would sit down with a cup of tea and go, oh, great, Diane's letter's here, and I'll be able to enjoy my tea and read her news. And apparently I was a good letter writer. Uh, and um, so I, I started writing what I thought was going to be a short story. Mm-hmm. And I actually decided I would go and take a short story writing class at Keefe Tech oh my because gosh. that was like such a small step. It wasn't like writing a book. Yeah. 
And uh, the teacher, who's or the instructor, whose name I've forgotten now, um, at some point said to me, Diane, you've got a book here. You need to be writing a book. And I said, oh, I couldn't write a book. And he said, you're already on the way. Just keep on going with this. Turn it into a book. And so for the next about 18 months, um, that's what I did uh, in between trying to keep house and uh, two part-time jobs as wow. well. Um so the family, uh, which at that by then just involved Dad and Dave, because mm -hmm. you and Rob were at university. Yeah. Um, they, I, I guess, like Dad said, I learned how to do laundry while you were writing this book. <laughs> um, and Dave would come home from school and get his homework done, and the two of them would work on dinner. I would just, just if I was on a roll, I would just keep on rolling. One of the most amazing days of this uh, first book uh, writing mm -hmm. was um, about 7.30 in the morning. I kicked Dave out of the house to the bus, and uh, he was on his way to school. So off he goes. It was about 7.30, and I sat down with my coffee and in my nightie. He was not a little one, right? I mean, he was like 12 or something at this point. Uh, right? He was uh, just going into high school, I guess. Yeah. He was probably, yeah, maybe 13. So it's not like you were kicking your five-year-old to oh, the curb. Oh, no, 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 no. I, no, I, yeah. you know, he, he made his own breakfast, actually, and had his own shower. And But I just made sure he got out on time for the bus. Mm -hmm. And I sat down at the computer with my coffee. I was in my nightgown and started writing a chapter and one of my characters decided, one of my minor characters decided to step off the page and sit on my monitor, cross her legs, pull out her cigarettes and tell me her story. <laughs> wow. And so I proceeded to type her story as fast as I could and the door opened, the front door opened and Dave is standing there and I said, oh, don't tell me you missed the bus. And Dave said, no, mom, it's half past three. I'm home from school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the whole day went just me telling Laura's uh, story. And, you know, I don't think I changed a word of her, her story. story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wove it in amongst the other characters, but her story never changed. She wanted to be a a major uh, character in the book. She's she not wasn't. the protagonist. She wasn't taking no for an answer. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no, no. Oh, but it was, uh, it, it was uh, the writing process for me um, was one uh, thought at a time. I, I had a sort of outline, which I totally ignored. Um, I kind of knew as my characters started getting woven into the story, and they each had their own story to tell, um, I learned about point of view. I learned about uh, dialogue. Um, apparently, uh, my um, my segue—not segues. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I used to like be a writer. Scene changes, you mean? Yeah, when you're going from one chapter to another, mm -hmm. um, apparently kept people interested. They wanted to know what was coming in the next chapter, and I can't oh. remember. If there's a word for that. Like P.G. Wodehouse, when you always end a chapter and you can't stop reading because that's something right has so happened you need you, to know you have you need to go to on yep yeah yep. it's a little bit of suspense uh, but apparently i you know i write that quite well according to the um the agents who uh, have rejected my manuscripts um <laughs> and those and, of us who read them and love them i mean don't forget us well that's true and and you know the book sold the two books that i did publish sold a lot of copies yep. um it's interesting things have changed i think in the market too so i'm not sure 
why what I think is my best manuscript hasn't sold, but you know, I keep trying. And what I may do one of these days is um, self-publish, uh, e-publish, not, oh, I not hope so. self, but I'm, yeah, I'm getting around to that. I, I think, think that would be so great. Um, when we get settled in California, we'll be there for a month, and I think I will sit down and get into some of these websites and find out what the story is. Cool, cool. So I don't know if that explains that, and I don't know if you're using all this. But... I, th I think I will. I mean, I'm. I think you know, it's Mother's Day, and like, you're you're my mom, and I think you have a great story to tell, and uh, that's really why I wanted to do this. Okay. Um, so then, my last question is: I, I hope you even remember what I'm talking about, but. I would love it if you would describe. So for, for listeners, what happened was when I was three and my middle brother was three months old, my family moved from Montreal, Canada, down to Massachusetts. And my mom, the stuffed zucchini phenomenon took place without without family around, without like all of her support system was back in Canada and there was no internet for a while. My mother did not have a car. Like she was just sort of in this suburb where if you walk, what you're walking to is houses. I mean, it, there was nothing like for a city girl, like my mother, that was not, you know, born and raised in Montreal. That's a, that was a big, huge change. And there's one specific change that you've talked about before that I felt just highlighted this whole thing so much, which was <laughs> when you first saw American pizza, when you when you first experienced American pizza, do you remember this? Tim, do you remember telling me this story? <laughs> uh, actually, though, I, I, if it's the story that I'm thinking of, it was um, I was in high school. Oh, really? I believe, yeah. The first time we, I was on a not a date. You know how you did it too. You go out six or eight kids, and mm -hmm. and uh, either after a dance or something, we would go out to a restaurant. And we went to what was called Miss Montreal, mm -hmm. uh, which was a chain. And we went to uh, the branch in Dorval, as a matter of fact. And somebody ordered a pizza. And I thought, well, that's weird because pizza is bread that you eat with a meal. So I asked him what he was going to have with it. And he said, uh, pizza. <laughs> and I said, okay. Uh, now, again, my background is mainly Italian. We ate Italian at home, not, not Polish. Mm-hmm. And um, comes which is, this, which is your you get. There's two sides to your family: the Italian side, the Polish side. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, the Canadian middle and uh, now American. But anyway, yeah. Um, comes this thing on a plate. It was like just this big white glop <laughs> <laughs> that covered cheese. the whole plate. <laughs> and I looked at this and said, "What is this?" And he said, "This is my pizza." And he cut a chunk out, and of course, as he picked it up to put it in his mouth, the mozzarella cheese just strung out behind it. Um, I was shocked and and amazed, but my father was the one who, when I went home and told him about this pizza, he just couldn't believe it. I bet he was like, "Yeah, people eat this." Oh, know? so I thought that was actually I thought that was when we moved down to Milford. I thought that was one of these like. Where what have I done? You know, oh, <laughs> I've yeah. made a no, huge mistake. No, 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 no you can take that out if you like. No, I was in high no, school. No, it's okay. I'll I'll keep yeah. it in. Was there anything like that? I mean, did you get down here and go, my God, what have I done <laughs> at all? Well, food wise, uh, restaurants are different. Chinese food was very different, mm -hmm. uh, and the way they serve it is different. And if I. I, I can't really remember what the shock was. We had ordered. Um, we had we just barely moved into the house actually in mm -hmm. Milford, and we had gone to a Chinese restaurant and ordered a meal. 
That's uh-huh. what it was. It was a dinner for two. Mm-hmm. And it came with um, some little curly fried thing, which turned out to be, um, uh, what do you call those things that Sue loves? Uh, the crab, the crab rangoon. Crab turned rangoon. Out to be a crab, which I had never seen or heard of, and it smelled kind of fishy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a little scary, but we each got one, and that was our appetizer. We didn't realize they would give you appetizers when you ordered the dinner, because they didn't do that in Montreal then. Mm-hmm. Um, was, this, that, was this by chance at the Pago Pago where they used to have ducks running around in the parking lot? Yeah, and then you saw the ducks in the backyard and you're <laughs> thinking, hmm, yes, exactly, the Pago Pago. I think uh, it's still there. No, it's not. No, it's become a liquor store now. Oh, dear. That's so, too bad. I liquors. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Actually, I think they were geese. They were big white geese. I, well, I remember thinking they were ducks, but they, certainly yeah, they no, could have been geese. No. Yeah. yeah. No. And I always wondered, well, in fact, we sat down and said, well, at least it's not cats. Um, because that was the rumor that Chinese food was made with cat. Don't ask me where that came from, but that's what people used to say. Yeah, Uh, so the ducks were comforting. (laughs) Yes, they were. Yes, yes. (laughs) Cool. Well, basically, I just, you know, I just figured I'd uh, call you up and ask you these three questions, and and now I feel like I've gotten some good answers. I I just wanted to kind of... I don't know, share some memories maybe on Mother's Day and kind of think about like, just you being you know, a mother, you're, you're you a know, great there's, mom. There's yeah, a lot exactly. of joy in being a mother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not all stuffed zucchini. There are, um, there are many, many periods of happiness and joy. It's, and I think one of the good things is watching your children grow into the people you hoped they would be. And um, I, as a mother, have been very fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Gosh, <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, well, it's probably the wonderful mothering that you got. Um, Undoubtedly. Oh, yeah. But um, no, it, it, there's a lot of joy in being a mom um, through all the phases of your children's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh and I hope to continue, you know, um, now that I'm in my 70s and I'm hoping to continue with my grandchildren, as a matter of fact, because now I'm a grandmom and that's quite grand. It's pretty fun. Uh, I mean, from from yeah. all I can gather, it's it's a pretty fun place to be, the grandparenting. I'll never forget the day when we were visiting you in Colorado a couple of years ago now. Maybe it was even like a decade ago. No, not quite. It was probably it's seven, eight right. years ago. And... um. You, you had something that we never have, which is whipped cream, like in a can. <laughs> and I can remember one day you just beckoned Max, who was, I think, like six or seven at the time, over to you at the fridge. And you instructed him to open up his mouth and you squirted <laughs> whipped cream into his mouth. And you were like, I can do this because I'm the grandmother. That's right. <laughs> I'm not raising you. <laughs> oh, man, exactly. That's like, that's the kind of spontaneous fun that I think is great. You know, that's I right. was like, wow. Right. And that I feel like the last time we visited you, we, we were just able to visit you a couple weeks ago. And there was an awful lot of squirting of whipped cream onto like somebody would have the whipped cream can and it would, you know, you'd squirt it onto everybody's fingers and then everybody go around for another round. And that was just really fun. You know, know. is this going to be my epitaph? You know, my children, my grandchildren, well, she's the one with the whipped cream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that, well, maybe that, but so much more too. And just a lot of fun, like fun is, I think what is going to be, you know, is Which is the wonderful part of being a grandparent. You have no more responsibilities. And again, as you know, you sort of, because uh, you, you never stop being a parent. So you're kind of watching what your children are doing with their children. And um, everything, certainly in our family, seems to be just 
ticking along nicely. So you can enjoy the children, the grandchildren, without worrying about are they being fed properly or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know uh, and your your kids are wonderful to listen to and talk to and uh, I just uh, when you were in Colorado uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago I will never I will never forget Jay at the table in a lull in the meal looks over at our Australian friends and says so do you know about Scientology in Australia? <laughs> And the two of them, their jaws just dropped because he's 10 years old yeah, and he's yeah. now going to discuss Scientology. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, that's, they're funny kids. And I mean, funny in a, in a good way. I don't mean yep, funny, yep, yep, you know, well, yep. they're definitely funny, peculiar, but like our family motto growing up was we're not crazy, that's we're the locks. locks. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that's kind of kept on going, which we're is We're now good. the locks slash colps, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, um, right. I figured, uh, that I would, you know, just give you a call and, okay, and I'm really well. glad we got to talk. So happy mother's day to my dear mother. Thank you, sweetie. Happy mother's day to my darling daughter. <laughs> to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. Theater, 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 theater,